Well, to my surprise, through the letterbox today, I had a letter from the royal family. Thankfully, it was from the Queen and not from a certain prince, and it's congratulating us on reaching 100. How does it feel to be old, Stu? Well, I've felt that way for a very long time now. I'm 46, and I've felt ancient for about, oh, probably a good four years or so. So it's nice to be recognised by Her Majesty. <laughs> yes. Yes, and definitely not from any of the, 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 the children's. Of course not. And, you know, we're such staunch monarchists, aren't we? We love the monarchy here. On, oh, we do. On Man at yeah. I mean, I've not made comments about the Queen's sex life, Prince Philip's death and the uh, exploits of certain princes. No, we're, we're staunchly behind them all the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, hand wave away all of that, you know, alleged noncery. No problem. Yes. Yeah. But do you know what the real royal family is? What's that? Because they have blue blood. <laughs> As you see where I'm going with that one. Kind of. Tenuous <laughs> leak time. Go on. We're not going to do what have you been playing, Stu. We're going to talk about blue skies and blue hedgehogs. It's a Sega special. Let's take us into it. Yes, indeed. So pretty special for the 100th episode, we thought. We'd finally make good on the promise to cover Sega in proper detail because, let's face it, they really deserve it. <laughs> and yeah, such a big, big topic. It needs a dedicated episode. And so, you know, you know, let's get started. Early to mid-80s, and the Super Scroller Ear. So, Sega, you know, they were there or thereabouts arcade developer in the 70s and early 80s. They had a lot of commercial success with Zaxxon and Frogger and the like, but personally I didn't stumble across many of their sort of bigger titles in my early arcade-going years, at least not until 1985 and their version of Choplifter, and that's just suddenly seemed to be everywhere. And they powered on through 85 and released loads of great titles. Most prominently, probably the seminal sit-down experience that was Space Harrier. Yes. And they showcased, yeah, they showcased some fun 2D side-scrollers throughout the 80s and these ended up forming the backbone of their home console success on the 8-bits and 16-bits. Uh, we'll talk about those machines in a bit, but in the arcades in the mid-80s, their brilliance was found in the boundary-pushing super-scrollers those are 3D-styled parallax sprite games using technology that didn't so much blow the competition away as detach it from Earth's gravitational field and kick it into the cosmos. We're talking Afterburner, Enduro Racer, Thunderblade, Super Hang-On, lots of others, and they ensured people kept stuffing coins into Sega's gigantic hydraulic cabinets. It was a legendary outrun that sat as king of them all, though. Oh, it's a yes. true classic the pinnacle of Super Scroller design. Sega Blue Skies and Hummable Tunes, and they blended perfectly into a unique racing and tourism sort of hybrid experience. So, yeah. yeah. I, I I defy anyone who is over the age of 30. Right? I'm on about into sort of like our 40s, those in the 50s now. Not if they go into an arcade in any seaside town and see an outrun cabinet there with the Ferrari set up still and everything, not to look at that and go, I've got a spare pound. I should really, shouldn't I? I know. It's You just have to. That, that That's outrun. It's probably the most iconic for me. 
even though it's not my favourite arcade game, it's probably the most iconic arcade cabinet I can think of. Yes, it probably is. It's really strange because in the game, you're driving this swanky Ferrari, you know, it's like rendered as well as they could for the time. And it does look like the Ferrari. I think it was a a Testarossa or, you know, it's around that kind of era of Ferraris. But the the arcade cabinet with this, this silly little chibi kind of squished, funny looking little thing um so that it wasn't gigantic and uh i think that probably helped because the game was very gorgeous but very sort of challenging yeah but the little cabinet itself was just cute it's just this cute bit of like you know yeah this fiberglass yes. cute fiberglass cabinet and yeah you're you're entirely right you can't see something like that and not want to just throw yourself at it immediately yeah there was one, I want to say there was, I want to say the Trocadero, there was one in London. Yeah. But it was that, and there was a, there's, I've been like, there's a Rage Racer one as well, but I mean, come on, come on. But say you always go the extra mile with their um, arcade cabinets, even Virtua Tennis, when that came out, it wasn't sort of like set out like a tip, it had a proper sit-down benches that were part of the arcade cabinet. Yeah. And it was like, this, this was saying, do you know what, you're going to be here a long time. Have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> they just knew. And what what was it Afterburner, which was the one that I was on, the full hydraulics that spun you around and everything? Well, there was a cabinet they built, which was called the, I think it was the R360, and that was the one that could do full. Yeah. 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 And it was showcased with uh, Afterburner and I think G-Lock as well. Yeah. Again, I want to say that was at the uh, Trocadero, but I've definitely played on it and it was like, my God, it's like, that's real. And, uh, you, I remember so sort of like we'd be speaking a couple of friends and that would be saying sort of like, this is going to end up in the home one day. And it never quite did. But, oh my God, they were experiences that no one else could bring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what were your top three favourite of those Super Scrollers? I can go first if you like. Yeah, you go first, go on. Yeah, so my top three Super Scrollers are uh, number three, Power Drift which was a little kind of buggy game where you drove around these like wooden plank roller coaster style things and they had really great kind of up and down kind of verticality to them it was really it's kind of super scrollers were fantastic but they did have a little problem with collision detection and power drift (laughs) power drift kind of you know kind of struggled with it more than most um but it was just so over the top and so daft and so willing to be silly that i you know i really loved that one number two is outrun that we've just rhapsodized about and not because it's not the best because it is the best but we're talking favorites and my favorite is space area which I already oh. mentioned, and when I was a kid, it was the first kind of uh, hydraulic-y, you know, moving cabinet that I ever I ever sat in and played. And for those who don't know, it had a massive joystick in the centre. Yeah. yeah. And you sat down and, like, put your money in, and it went, welcome to the fantasy zone, get ready. And then you, you, you're this little guy with, like, a rocket-propelled gun under your arm, and you fly around these, um, these 3D levels shooting at space dragons and stuff and it's just mental and the the cabinet itself just flung itself around in a way that health and safety nowadays would probably scream at you for i remember you know my my much smaller hips and bum getting flung around at eight years old doing that and uh, yeah you got bruised you did you did yeah um but yeah it was phenomenal and, and i just loved it 
yeah, no, that's three good choices there. And I don't, you have to tell me if these are all counting or not. But for me, Super Hang On, was that Sega? That was Sega. It was, so I had yeah. to be Sega. Yeah, that was brilliant. The bike, because you know, they, they gave you like a, a, what felt like full size when I was younger, but clearly it would have been scaled down a bit. But you got your bike to ride on, and that's never been better. I can't play motorbike games apart from Road Rash without now wanting a, like a, an arcade bike between my legs because yeah. they just don't feel right on a controller. Then Afterburner, uh, because that was just my first full experience of being thrashed around properly. And, I mean, this is going to be obvious, but Outrun. Yeah. Because it's Outrun. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's just, sometimes that's just the answer because... Yep, I entirely agree. Afterburner just just fell outside but it, it definitely appears later on for me it's yeah such a but, such a good game but the problem you have and we'll talk about this maybe with uh, when we move on to like the 3d arcade machines and stuff like that is a lot of these you can play at home you know I, i've been tinkering with um with retro stuff recently and i've got i'm definitely going to try some out rather and i'm going to try a bit of afterburner and, and things like that and yeah they scratch a bit of an itch when you're playing them on a monitor at four at 4K and stuff like that, but no, no, you you need to be in a dirty, cigarette smelling, sweaty, dark, dank arcade with God knows what diseases over the things you're sitting on and touching, <laughs> being thrashed around to get the full experience. They just it doesn't quite do the same when you're sat at home in front of a small monitor yeah I, I agree with that i think that those ones in particular even more so than the 3d era that we'll come into mm. in a bit I, I think those super scrollers really have that embedded in their dna that you need those hydraulic and yeah. <laughs> hydraulic cabinets I mean, I did. I did always want a Shenmue forklift arcade game oh. with an actual forklift. And why Sega didn't do that? I don't mind you. That was a, we're headed towards the days of Sega changing. Uh, yeah. But that, that just like anything, Sega just make it. You made arcade cabinets. Yeah, that's right. And zipping back to those times. The Master System and Mega Drive, the true home of Sega 2D arcades. Alongside that expensive and technical showcases that were 3d wonders they continued to pump out high quality 2d platform games at the same time uh, often shooters and they had an addictive hook most of them couldn't compete with capcom konami or taito's best but their standard was always pretty high and the likes of wonder boy or fantasy zone in the mid-decade paved the way uh, for even more finely tuned experiences as the 80s started to wrap up most notably in the form of shinobi and golden axe and the true home of these titles ended up being the two big Sega console releases of the 80s, the 8-bit Master System and its successor, the 16-bit Mega Drive. Yes. Not only were all the, the above arcade games present and correct on both systems, they all received sequels that often outdid their progenitors, you know, an amazing way to justify the purchase yeah. to your parents and also to bring the arcade experience home. The Master System port of Wonder Boy is solid, but the two sequels to that are absolute classics all the fantasy zone titles are great on both the junior and the senior machines golden axe was a technical marvel and it on the mega drive and even adds new levels to the 16-bit version and super shinobi aka revenge of shinobi on the mega drive is considered by many to be the best in the franchise 
The master system was comparatively short-lived and didn't really gain traction in the US, but that saw many fantastic ports as well. And uh, it brought a lot of quality homegrown titles to the table. Things like a Safari Hunt with the light phaser and Space Harrier again, but with the 3D glasses. And that showed Sega doing an envelope pushing side to the outside of the arcade for the first time. And stuff like Fantasy Star and Psycho Fox still hold up today and are still worth playing. Yeah. When you're talking about the Mega Drive, though, conversation sort of inevitably drifts towards the speedy blue mascot. Uh, It's no exaggeration to say the first Sonic game propelled the machine to the big time uh, at much the same pace as that hedgehog. The NES had gained such a foothold in the US and Japan that Super Nintendo was already a surefire hit, but the SMS itself had, had faltering starts in those territories making the future prospects of the Mega Drive or the you know, Genesis in the US much less certain. But alongside Sonic, Sega kept things varied and interesting with Shining Force, Rystar, Shinobi 3, E-Swat, Columns, Fantasy Star Games, uh, and a load of others and a big slew of ports. And even the polygonal stuff like Virtua Racing and Virtua Fighter got a run out. So yeah, a, a really amazing era. And the one that cemented Sega as a big force in the home, even though, looking back, it lacked some traction because of that power and dominance of the NES. But, you know, the games that came out were were really excellent. So I think it's worth going through our top three Master System Mega Drive games. So again, I will go first. Oh. We are splitting them. Are we splitting these? (laughs) It's going to be hard enough just doing the... uh, doing them as separate but yeah yeah so for me my top three master system games made by sega are at number three fantasy zone 2 which was you know it might not be as good as the first one even but on the master system itself fantasy zone 2 was a bigger cartridge it was more sort of luxurious and it was uh you know a better tweaked and tuned game for that platform and obviously it's just great looking it just silly and kitschy things that you don't see in a lot of uh shooters you know it's normally something you associate with puzzle games or with you know platformers for kids but yeah no it was a brutal game underneath this lovely outside external sheen At number two, Shinobi. Uh, I love the Master System version of Shinobi. It's very different to the arcade, but equally good in its own ways. Great fun. And at number one, Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap, which got a a kind of update remake recently where you can play it with new graphics or switch between those and the retro graphics. And that looks amazing. It's one of the nicest looking 8-bit home console games ever made and is such a good game. Yeah. So what about yourself? So Master System wise, it's like I had a I had a little look back through, and I can't really put them in any particular order. So Thunderblade was a game I really enjoyed. Yeah, maybe not as well regarded today as it was. Maybe well, I don't know if it was well regarded back then. It was the late eighties, so I, I I didn't care about what other people thought. I just know that I really enjoyed flying a helicopter and and. David shoot shootouts with the helicopters. Yeah. Um, I was I was seven years old. Um, so, but yeah, that that was one that really stood out to me. And again, I don't know where other people stand on this, but Alex Kidd in Miracle World. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
absolutely adored that game, and I really like the uh, rock, paper, scissors mechanic. Um, I don't look again, I've got no reason for it. I just really just enjoyed playing it, and I know it's not one that's fondly looked looked back on with some people. So, but yeah, though, for me, I really, really like that. And then I I think you mentioned it as well, but uh, Shenmue, uh, Shenmue, Shinobi, sorry, yeah. Shenmue's not making any top three, by the way. I don't know where <laughs> that came from, but um, Shinobi, that was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, but I do one that's going to miss out on both, actually, and I do want to give it a um, just a bit of a a shout out um, as a novel mention. But Columns, I was a really big fan of Columns yeah. uh, because it was a puzzle game, and I love puzzle games. But that's not going to make any top three. But I just, yeah, it's, it never gets the respect it's due. I don't think. Yes. It was a much... Um, in a time when puzzle games were not... You know, they, on the home consoles, it are not like home computers. People didn't buy them because they were too expensive. <laughs> like, I remember yeah. the, the cost of... Until you started getting, like, compilation packs towards the end of the Mega Drive's life. Um, and then the rental market, which was much bigger in the US than it was in the UK, but still existed in the UK. That sort of game you only really found on, like, your dad's PC, you know, or your mate's Amiga or ST and stuff like that, because, yeah, you didn't have to... Most of the time, you didn't have to pay very much money for them, or you could pirate them. Whereas, you know, buying columns on the on the Mega Drive would cost you as much as Sonic, and which kid is going to go for that? Well... Obviously, yeah, the answer yeah. is you. But apart from you, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, we'll we'll cut that off. No, Sonic still first. With, <laughs> with, if you're gonna go down that route, yeah, no, I'm just messing. But yeah, I think it, it they've really uh, flourished in the era of. You know, the, the media being cheaper so that they can price the games a bit cheaper, and uh, it was unfairly overlooked at the time. I think a little bit, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but as I say, I, I know. Generally, I might be in a bit of a minority with it, uh, but you know me and puzzle games. Um, I do. So, but yeah, but yeah, Mega Drive. That was definitely. Uh, well, we all know what what the Mega Drive was. It does what Nintendo don't. It does, and that was an entirely uh, accurate statement because you know it's a different machine. It doesn't mean it's better. That statement. It just means it's different, doesn't it? And I love yeah. the SNES. I absolutely loved the SNES, and I don't you know i don't i I can't go which one is better than the other i can just say what's great on the mega drive so for me the best mega drive games that were by sega were uh number three sonic 2 at number two golden axe and number one shinobi 3 and most of those speak for themselves but just shinobi 3 uh, if people didn't play it that much it's not a surprise it was right towards the end of the life of the mega drive i think it was about 93 or 94 and you know the the ps ps1 was just coming out so i don't think that many people bought it but it's absolutely solid fried gold you know it's 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 one of the best shinobi games and i'm an absolute you know shinobi obsessive and uh yeah. you can still if you go onto our youtube channel you can still see my one credit completion of the arcade game um but yeah no it's it's absolutely phenomenal and for me it's the best one on the mega drive and for me the best sega game on the mega drive as well but i think i'd probably That's- be in a minority no, it's not a bad shout, and it's good to have personal preference uh, because I think sometimes you go, you accept that this is the best game in terms of uh, critical reception, fan reception, everything. But it 
doesn't mean it has to be your favourite or your best. Um, hence the yeah. reason my number three, um, and I'm going to say come at me, is Toe Jam and L, Panic on Funkatron. All right, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of people prefer Toe Jam and L. Um, they're wrong. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed the 2D side-scrolling type affair of Panic on Funkatron. And I, 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 I was obsessed with standing there and dancing in the game because it allowed you to do that it was it was just incredibly fun to play um, and again that's what i was always been about i think with games is is it fun well, yeah then that'll do me yeah and uh, i don't know whether i could put this because it's a sega published game but it's virgin developed and that's aladdin at number two all right, yeah. Are we allowing that? Mm, I'll allow it. We'll allow it. Good. I really, again, the 1992, I was, I was, I would have been 10, 11, depending on when, when it was, and it was just amazing for me. It was like I saw the film, and then there was the game, and it, at the time, it actually looked like you was playing the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. To my young guys, and it just blew me away. And again, technically not the best on the system, best game, but it just held something within me. And I absolutely, yeah, I just played the hell out of that one. Again, back in those days where you might have one game for that year, just yeah, hammered the hell out of that. Um, and at number one, Sonic the Hedgehog two. Yes, the single player was fine, but those races. What, why have we not done more of the racing section? Because that was spectacular. Yeah. Quick laps around levels, but they were shortened down. And it was just fun. Two player. Why is that not still a thing? Why have they not made more Sonic games based on that? They tried going 3D and everything, but that, that two player mode was amazing. Yeah. I think the history of Sega is just riddled with why have they not? question mark and yeah. why, why did they do this you know yeah. the last one I, I think I, yeah I think they should have that thing I think that might have been present in Sonic Advance or some of the later Advance games um, but tip- possibly yeah, who played them? I know typical with Sega you know they bury a, that later on they bury a lot of innovation in platforms and games that people are not playing or you know it's got a smaller reach I think if they was to do a Sonic Mania-based version of the Sonic 2 racing levels, and that's all it was, and charged full price for it, I'd buy it. Yeah, yeah. You've got the engine. You've got the engine. That's, yeah. that's the thing. They've got the engines. Why, Sega? I, I don't know. <laughs> that's the easy answer with Sega. I don't know, because you never know what's going through their stupid heads, because they've, they're sitting on gold, and they, they so rarely mine it. It's crazy. Yeah, but yeah, I, you you said about sort of like obviously the differences between uh, Sega and Nintendo SNES, uh, Super oh, SNES. It's always a SNES. I don't care what other people say. And the the Mega Drive. I think what you, there really is with it, it's it's like you don't get it these days. Well, you I suppose you do with like your PlayStation exclusive games. They're all like big third part, uh, third person and ma- massive adventures. But you had what I would say your Sega games, and they felt like Sega games, and your Nintendo games that felt like Nintendo games. And yeah, both both systems were amazing uh, because I don't think if you uh, Sonic's never worked as well 
on a Nintendo system when they obviously we'll talk about what they did down the line but Sonic on a Sega system is still something special yes it is and I it's that kind of coding to the metal kind of feeling of developing for a single platform where you know nobody knows that technology better than the the people who produce it and they just tailor it to absolute absolute perfection and yeah Sonic 2 definitely did that yeah the dark age of the Saturn so moving on from the 16 bits then yep in the early 90s, Sega was trying to re-establish its foothold in the arcade market through a very expensive refresh of its technology. And to do that, it's subdivided into lots of different departments over the following years. The first being this amazing AM2 who led the innovation with the Model 1 board uh, with Virtua Racing in 1992. They really hit their stride with the Model 2 board, though, which enabled a, a resurgent return to the top in the arcades. Uh, Daytona USA had all the looks, plus a bag of chips, and Virtua Fighter 2 made its predecessor, the first game, look prehistoric. And only this sort of similarly tech-obsessed Namco got anywhere near competing with Sega in the head-turning arcade cabinet department. It's fair to say that in the arcade, the hits just kept on coming, but in the home, the Spondulix just kept on leaving. In the early-ish 90s, Sega were hemorrhaging cash, by launching, mainly because of launching, two costly failures in the forms of the 32X and the Mega CD. And then they rushed the Saturn to market with an awkward architecture, and it lent on 2D graphics processors, it had an expensive launch price, an underwhelming launch range, mediocre ports, limited third-party support, and the initial control was horrible. So all of these problems were fixed, or at least mitigated, within the first year or so. And the Saturn received some graphical showcases that completely flawed you. Stuff like, you know, Sega Rally Championship, Panzer Dragoon, Virtua Fighter 2. Uh, but, you know, it was doomed to failure because of the, the power and variety the PlayStation had. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there weren't some unique and exclusive games on the Saturn that made it amazing. And it was, you know, home to the greatest ports of Capcom titles from the era at the time when 2D fighting games ruled the arcade. So you had Darkstalkers, Vampire Saviour, Street Fighter Zero Three, Marvel Superheroes, you know, all that Capcom brilliance. But you also had like Radiant Silver Gun from Treasure and Guardian Heroes. And in the in-house stuff like Burning Rangers, Sonic R, uh, and you had cave shooters like Dodonpachi and RPGs like Grandia. And it makes it, you know, a truly forgotten gem of a system. And it's my probably my favourite console of all time, I would say. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I had a on-off relationship with the Saturn. Um, I managed to get one a few years after it was released. I don't know how I came across it, but I managed to get one. Uh, not through yeah. nefarious means or anything. I think it was just given to me. And... And I think I'd like, I think the only game I had was like Sega Worldwide Soccer on it. Yeah. Um, and I went, yeah, this is not very good. And then I think I gave it away. Um, but then a few years later, I picked it up again. I got a really, found it at a boot sale. It was the console, couple of controllers, and then a, um, a wallet with pretty much every Saturn game ever released in this game's wallet. All legit discs. Yeah. They had no cases, but legit discs. Um, and I played through the pretty much all of them and ended up unfortunately having to sell it. Uh, but I kind of rediscovered the Saturn later on. 
I had a great time with it. And there were some really, really good games on there, yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's got so much real brilliance. And I think that the thing that really makes the Saturn stand out is, well, there's a couple of things, really. One, it didn't have a great deal of shovelware, which the PlayStation did, which doesn't detract from the PlayStation whatsoever. But yeah, the hit-to-miss ratio on the Saturn was really, really positive. It was, you know, there were a lot of really great games and not that many really terrible ones, although the ones that were terrible were absolutely terrible. But the other thing is that it had games that were amazing exclusives and a lot of them have stayed exclusive, which is quite rare these days, you know, especially as... On the PlayStation, most of their big hits, if not all of them, became franchises that are still gigantic today. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, showcasing some of the stuff that that Sega did on it, my top three are, at number three, Panzer Dragoon Saga, which is the fantastic RPG made out of the Panzer Dragoon series, and is a really nice way of just using that franchise, its IP and its strange atmosphere and looks to create something really different. I'm actually playing a game at the moment that does something similar, but we'll talk about that next week. Uh, Number two, Sega Rally Championship, just because it's pretty much a flawless port of the arcade. It obviously doesn't look as good, but apart from that, it handles just as well. And it still actually looks pretty damn good today, amazingly enough. And at number one, Knights Into Dreams, which is my favourite game of all time, and I've talked about on lots of occasions. It does something that no other game does. It's never been superseded, and it's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, there's there's three solid titles there. I don't think... I'm trying to think what... I don't think I played the RPG Panzer Dragoon. I want to say that I played Panzer Dragoon Survive. Yes, yeah. Which was just the pure rail shooter, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the one I played then. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because that... So my number three was Knights. Absolutely adored it. But I think I played more of the uh, Christmas Knights demo than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah... That's just amazing. It's one of those things you don't get anymore. Just give it away on a magazine. I know. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was, yeah. But yeah, Knights is really, really good. And we showed it was a lightning in the bottle because its original creator is still trying to find that spark again. And Battle of Wonderworld was not that. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, Knights shouldn't work. There's so much that you look at it and go, doesn't work as a game mechanic but just for whatever reason it does in nights yeah it is really special number two sega rally championship um that was my i think one of the first times i went oh my god it's an arcade game in my home yeah again i dare say if you used to look at it now and play it on the hardware you go uh people go well it drops below 60 frames don't care it played really well for me i enjoyed the hell out of it uh and number one is Panzer Dragoon's Fire. Nice. Uh, because it was just, yeah. I just, I, I don't really get on with rail shooters on the whole. I mean, I even struggle with Res to a degree, which for me is probably the spiritual successor to the Panzer Dragoon games. Someone will tell me that that came out before or whatever. I don't know. I don't, don't care. But yeah, I had a great time with that. It was, it was like flying dragons, but dragons that could shoot things and yeah it was just a 
wonderful tight experience yeah I don't think there's been a game in that series that I haven't enjoyed I really loved Panzer Dragoon Auto when it came out on the uh, original Xbox yeah uh, but yeah yeah no they're really good examples of that genre and the RPG is just, it's great. It's its one of those things where you do take something and go, the world of this is, is so unique and so interesting and so different that we need to make something completely different out of it so we can show a different side to it. And yeah, no, it's got that thing of you physically position yourself, a bit like Homeworld, you physically position yourself to attack weak spots rather than being in a static place and choosing which weak spot to attack like you do most in, uh, in most RPGs. You physically move your dragon to different points uh, around the creatures that you're attacking in, in 3D space. Yeah. And then that allows you to attack different parts of them. And yeah, no, it's it's really clever and the story's really excellent. Unfortunately, it barely got a UK release. It was in tiny numbers. It's really rare. And you can't play... It barely got released in the US either, so it's really rare there. It's got... There's tons of copies on Japanese Saturn, but of course... You can't play those because they're in Japanese, unless you're a Japanese literate. So it's one of those that, yeah, it's kind of almost forgotten to history, but it's, it's fabulous. So, yeah, no, I, yeah, some just brilliant stuff on that machine. I, I just love it. Yeah, no, okay, I can't, well, I mean, I, I wish I'd appreciated it more in its day, uh, but I think that actually, um, I'm assuming the Sega console we'll come to next is another one that follows that line of it's not as appreciated as it should be yeah absolutely it totally is so the dream is cast asunder yeah i mean hubris may have accounted for many of sega's woes when it came to the saturn but it was still pumping out great arcade content even though the market was by this time it was really starting to shrink the era of home ports looking identical or near as damn it to their arcade you know, forebears and progenitors was upon us, and Sega didn't rest on their laurels. So shifting from the Model 3 board, which was home to hits like you know, Daytona USA 2, Virtua Fighter 3, House of the Dead, over to their new Naomi platform, they seemed to be setting themselves up for success. And their vision was, you know, much like we were talking about, the gamer to find a fancy new title in the arcade and then buy the exact same thing for their home console with all the same bells and whistles. Uh, And it was a beautiful dream and it it birthed the aptly named Dreamcast. But to the distress and disappointment of many, including us two, it failed to find a foothold and languished while, again, Sony's machine, the PS2, soared. Sega correctly pivoted away from obscure hardware to something, you know, small, bright, shiny, easy to program for, but it failed to convince punters its games were anything more than sort of tapas next to Sony's all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. Um, Lasting a mere two years before being discontinued, it was a costly flop that drove Sega out of the hardware business and began their decline from pioneers to the company that we know today. But still, enough negative has been said about the Wonderbox that is the Dreamcast, uh, which is Brad's favourite console of all time, and it's one of mine. Yes. Uh, So let's talk nice stuff and what a heap of nice stuff there is to say. So not only do you get the superlative and funky fresh titles like Jet Set Radio, Samba D'Amigo, Sonic Adventure, uh, the mascot who sat out an entire generation pretty much, but um, Naomi ports like Virtua Tennis, Get Bass, Sega Rally 2, House of the Dead 2, loads more, and the Capcom exclusives like Power Stone, Resident Evil Code Veronica, at least for a time, uh, Skies of Arcadia, uh, quirky stuff like Cool Cool Toon, Cosmic Smash by Sega Rosso, and then, you know, there were 
it's a massive ju- typing of the dead typing of the dead yeah because you could use a keyboard i know it was crazy and you know they it had so, so many games that have left massive massive footprints in game design shenmue res ikaruga metropolis street racer which became project gotham you know it's arguably the console of all of them with the most positive hit to miss ratio in history i think i would i would go out on a limb and and it's a hill i would die on to say that i think my my second place pick would probably be the neo geo which again has hardly any you know crappy shovelware and it was a you know progenitor of series that are still huge to this day i mean often because the ps2 snaffled up the rights when sega started hitting the skids but regardless and you can't end the chat without you know mentioning that it's the first major console with internet enabled gameplay with quake 3 and fantasy star online in particular you know it's yeah, showcasing quite- these amazing online experiences so you know a lot of sega's mortal injuries were self-inflicted but the dreamcast certainly wasn't one of them uh, it was a beautiful idea whose core principle are still alive today they came through from the xbox and then filtered through into the rest of gaming and changed the way that it is so yeah yeah that's something we look at with with sega maybe we'll cover this a bit more once we've done our top three games because i think there's a lot more chat to have over that side of it but oh yeah you mentioned it's it's not a sega game so but oh quake free on the dream because i think i've waxed lyrical over that i'm sorry that shouldn't be possible or what is a dial-up connection i know i don't i I don't know what magic they worked um again i dare say if i was to go back set it all up as it was now i go oh my god this chugs a lot or whatever but at the time oh my god it was like this is the future and in the end, it was the future. Yeah. Just no one was ready for it. It, it, it. Honestly, it reminds me of that scene at the end of Back to the Future where he goes, maybe you're not ready for it, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah. And it's kind of, that's what the Sega Dreamcast was. They were so far ahead of their time, weren't they? It's just, yeah. you know, on that front, uh, you know, Sony were playing catch up, and um, if they and they were giving away games, they yeah. they was they was Game Pass before Game Pass existed. Choo Choo Rocket, you know, yeah. it's yeah, oh yeah, they they did so many things that are just the way it's done now. And yeah, they charity game as well. There was a toy box, uh, like a toy car racing type game that was a fiver because it money went to charity, and it was just like yeah. just loads of little things like that. Yes, yeah, and it's demise is terribly terribly sad and you know the, the it's no it's no surprise and no shock that the the ps2 is still the most sold console in history which you know yeah. you say that and people would think well you know is it not like the game boy or one of the versions of it or the wii which was like a cultural phenomenon no it's still the ps2 uh, it sold if memory serves 192 million units yeah which is significantly more still than the Wii, uh, which I think is still second. And you just, you had no hope whatsoever when you were going up against that. And, you know, no. part part of it, you know, quite a lot of it was Sega's own fault because they could have carved out a niche in the same way that the Xbox did when that came to the table. Um, but I think it needed that kind of killer app much earlier on to have, sold even double what it did yeah which still wouldn't have made it that big a success but you know none of this takes away from it being an incredible machine 
No, that that's nothing. That's the struggle because this is the one I found hardest to put a top three together for, uh, because there were so many good games. I had to go. Oh my god, that wasn't actually Sega. That was so and so put this on this because it was a game. It was literally the home arcade. It was it was the dream realised in the end. And I, yeah, it's I go through it and I'm going. There's there's, there's barely a dozen months there. You know you can't blame Sega for not going right. We're only going to have the best games on here some have aged poorly don't get me wrong but that happens with absolutely anything but you know they just went right though if we're gonna have a game on it it's gonna be an absolute banger and that's what you had so it's you can't blame that you can't blame piracy um either because i know it was an easy one to pirate like to do piracy for but the the nintendo ds was the easiest thing to ever pirate on i think even sort of like your nan had a r4 card yeah loaded up with games it's not piracy that killed it because the ds was a massive success um and so i i honestly think it was just the momentum of sony at the time killed it i I honestly don't know what if i was sega then and i knew what i knew now i honestly don't know what i would have done differently apart from going let's have all the shovelware which I don't want. I, I don't know what I could have done. I just don't think it could have succeeded, no matter what it did. I agree. I agree. I think they could have done Sega themselves because done loads of things different and spent less and still, you know, like I say, doubled sales. But it only sold 19 million units, which is very, very small, you know, in this market. Yeah. And it, it's funny because what they also. I was looking. I like. I, I learned this when I was looking through the stats when I was putting this together and you got I think the the Mega Drive sold about 12 or 15 million units against the SNES's 30 million and that was the size of the market back then and it was the PlayStation 1 that with its cheap media format that made it made buying consoles a much bigger thing and enabling yeah. there to be hundreds of millions of sales and yeah i think that even if they'd kind of if the dreamcast had been able to tap into that thing and sold you know 50 million units the ps2 would still outsold it three or four units to one yeah which would not have been enough for them um especially with the r&d they put into the dreamcast um, I think I would have, you know, if you're thinking about just having some success, I suppose you could have had the the modem as an add-on rather than an in-box product. Um, you, but <sighs> even then, that was part of its USP. So I think more like making the controller better, having twin sticks. Yeah. I think that's a big one because it, it really does hold it back. It's it's it it holds it back functionally and physically. It's an unpleasant controller to use, you know. Yes. And uh, the VMUs being you know what they are and expensive. I I I applaud them for the technology, but it's unnecessary. And I would have had just ordinary memory cards. None of the little mini games you got for it were good enough to carry the VMU. No. Unfortunately, no. it's a it's one of those things that it's you know it's a nice thing to have but they couldn't eventually it became the switch so at the same time it was innovative it was it was but yeah if they'd done it so you could buy a vmu if you wanted one that would have been good enough yeah and then you could just or just a plain memory card memory card yeah absolutely and also you know the gd rom side of things to try and make it uh you know more hack proof 
which didn't work <laughs> and just made it <laughs> more expensive for them to produce the games. You know, lots and lots of little things that in retrospect... I mean, it was easier to stick in a bit of blue tack in a PlayStation, yeah, so, you I know. know it, was, it was crazy. But, yes, those things aside, amazing games, and I would love to hear your top three. I'm going to come to that in a minute, All actually, right. so I'm just going to carry this on a little yeah, yeah. bit because I've got a theory as to why when you look at how video games have aged from when they did and then sort of like the way they was accepted and where they are now and why the Dreamcast had to fail in my opinion is around the time of the Dreamcast coming out is around the time many early adopters of video games were hitting their 20s um, and going out and getting their jobs and they, I reckon they could have afforded one console, one console only. Because, you you know, you still maybe got mortgage for a lot of people, starting families, so you could afford one console, but you could afford that console. And the marketing behind the PlayStation 2 and the momentum from the PlayStation 1 was massive at the time. And what you had with the PlayStation 1, I think, is a mixture of parents who had maybe played some of their kids' other like the snares the mega drive and stuff like that which is why these numbers are getting bigger as well but they played those and got oh you know i'd quite like to play this game on on this and this is the one i've heard of so we'll get a playstation over a saturn or an n64 but by the time the playstation 2 came out the kids were now adults and able to start buying but just didn't have the income to afford two really expensive consoles yes, yeah. uh, uh, but now you know we've got to a point where i think if you used to release a Sega Dreamcast now at a good price, like a Nintendo-based price, I actually think it would sell really, really, really well if it carried on and kept what it did for the original, which is, look, here's Sega games, a couple of extras, but here are Sega games, have at it. Or if it just became a History of Sega machine or something like that, which was like from Dreamcast all the way down play natively on, on a Dreamcast 2 or something. I think it's a C because people have, will go, actually, I've got my Xbox or my PlayStation because you can get pretty much every game on either of those. I wouldn't mind a Sega Blue Skies machine or something like that alongside it. But I honestly think it was just a case of one time because of the audience at the age they were at the time. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that's a really good observation that, uh, yeah, that we were the generation and, you know, people are, yeah, probably, you know, people are a little bit older than us. But, yeah, Generation X definitely were the first generation who grew up with games emerging and into the home in, you know, 79, 80 sort of thing. And therefore, the very first thing you wanted to do when you were 18 or whatever and earning your, your living wage was to buy a console. And, yeah, if you're going to buy one, you're going to buy the one that, played the the matrix you know dvd yeah <laughs> which we, rem- we yeah. all remember fondly it was hey i watched i watched american pie on a gd rob on a dreamcast hey i think you're probably the <laughs> only one <laughs> it was a cam coffee as well it was awful oh lovely i was around a friend's house and yeah we what we watched american pie you needed two gd roms and it cut off halfway through and you had to swap it oh dear <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the Dreamcast versus PS2 alone you could write a history history book on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and as I said, doing a top three for this was so difficult. 
that I'm going to do a top three. I'm going to get you to do your top three after. And then I just want to mention what others I've got on my list here, um, just because they deserve a mention. But my top three is Ferrari F355 Challenge. I learned the Suzuka circuit on that, and it was amazing. I know that circuit inside out because of that game. And again, maybe it's a Ferrari thing. I don't know. Absolutely amazing. Number two is Jet Set Radio. Yes. Blew me away at the time. Um, whenever, whenever anyone talks about um, cel-shaded graphics to me, that's the one that springs to mind. Yeah. And it played so well at the time. It still holds up. Visually, it still holds up. Gameplay-wise, it could do with a couple of quality of life updates. I'm not going to lie. But at the time, oh, my, wow, wow, what a game that yeah. was. And at number one, oh, this was a difficult choice. And, but Daytona USA. Oh, how good was that on the Dreamcast? It was. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, they're just fabulous, yeah. I, I totally agree on Jet Set Radio. It was just one of the things that is great about particularly the Dreamcast is when you emulate it. Now, like we're playing it now is still great, but when you emulate it, yeah. it doesn't. it hasn't aged in the same way that PS2 visuals have. No. And it's because it's very clean, very solid, very often 60 frames per second. In fact, I think I think almost exclusively, apart from the odd, you know, the odd title. And, you know, it didn't have texture warping, it didn't have glitching, it didn't have breaking up. So if you just stick it in, a, in an emulator and you put the resolution high, it looks like games from today. And yeah. many of them still play like games from today. And Jet Set Radio doesn't, like you say. It needs quality of life improvements. But if you get over the hump of the the, the awkward and slightly crappy controls, it's it's just an amazing thing they were doing 20-odd years ago, you know? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, okay, but, I mean, go, do your top three, and then I've got, I've got I mean more than honourable mention these these are knighthood mentions we'll give we'll, we'll call it keep sticking with the royal family thing because what's your top well three? yeah it's really difficult it's really really difficult uh I, I agree with you and i'm going to put more in but definitely res at number three not even so much because i'm a massive fan although i am a fan of it but just because it's a technical marvel and yeah innovative in all sorts of ways and i was genuinely furious when it came out on the ps2 i was really really angry <laughs> i know that's my proper fanboy. yeah i fanboyed over that one really hard i was very angry about it's a sega game i know but i was you were already seeing the the dreamcast starting to struggle and you know to see yeah. that it get that release on the ps2 was a real blow to the heart you know but anyway at number two jet set radio same as you and at number one fantasy star online which for me is just in in that way in the way that it plays and the the innovation and the way that you could communicate with people and the sort of simple arcade gameplay somehow translating into a, a you know mmorpg yeah it's just amazing and not something that's really done very much today. Certainly not any of the bigger companies. They they just make it very, very complex. But yeah, yeah. just a fantastic game way before its time. Yeah, I it's the only MMO I've played that I've actually played. played. I've dipped my toe in, tried World of Warcraft and stuff like that, and uh, Final Fantasy XIV and gone, what? No. I don't, yeah, what? Who? How? I, I, what was going on here? Uh, but Fantasy Star Online, it was simple, but still so in 
depth. I used to love jumping on, finding people. I don't think I played with friends on it, but I'd find random people would go off on missions and they were easy to understand because it was it was Sega. So they knew it had to be playable. People had to enjoy it. And that's the theme that runs throughout Sega's games. It had to be enjoyable first and foremost. Yeah. And that's what this was. Yeah, I think that was very possibly a byproduct of of them being not just being arcadey because that's an obvious observation being an arcade company yeah. first and foremost i think it was because they split up into so many different divisions like the guys that did panzer dragoon saga were am6 and they went through all sorts of different names they went they were called team andromeda they were later called smile bit but there were all sorts of other ones. It was AM3 became Sega Rosso, and but anyway, all, like you that. know, all of them were were arcade producers first and foremost. And whatever they turned their minds to, they would not let it escape from them and become something that wasn't at least at its core simple and accessible and fun. And they never lost sight of that with their certainly not with their big releases on the Dreamcast. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, I'm just going to rattle off some names that I've I've got here in my growing uh, Dreamcast collection. Uh, so Choo Choo Rocket is, is fantastic. Um, the fact it was given away for free still blows my mind. Yes. Uh, you know, we see it now. I mean, I say blows my mind. Well, obviously, we're seeing sort of like huge games given away for free these days. But back then, again, it was like, this is better than many other games I've ever played so thank you Crazy Taxi I mean oh my god how good was Crazy Taxi it still holds up today people have tried to imitate it and you can't Um, obviously you need to play the original Crazy Taxis with like Pizza Hut KFC Blockbusters and uh, The Offspring in it you can't play the other version Uh, say Daytona Dead or Alive 2 I thought was a really really good port as well really enjoyed that Hydro Thunder there's, there's no it's a shame that Hydro Thunder Hurricane the remake didn't succeed because Hydro Thunder was brilliant and Hurricane was a really good uh, sort of like reimagining of it but again I know these aren't all Sega games but I don't care I'm breaking the rules for the Dreamcast because <laughs> the Dreamcast broke all the rules as well Ikaruga um, one of the only vertical shooters I properly played yeah. absolutely outstanding I've got I'm going through alphabetical because my list is alphabetical, by the way. Metropolis Street Racer. Again, blew my mind as a racer. There was like you could probably find technically better racers. But it had a like a day-night cycle and a proper thing. So like if you was played Tokyo during the day in the UK, it was night. But if you played at night, Tokyo was in the day and it was just like amazing that that, that was a thing they'd done. It had like these live radio stations and everything. Yeah. It was so innovative and it looked amazing. Um, Sonic Adventure games, again, probably like Jet Set Radio, don't quite hold up today in terms of how they play. But again, they were so, they were first for me. And whereas Mario 64, for example, was, was brilliant. But it was slow-paced, it was methodical, and Sonic was always to go, oh, look how slow Mario is, look how much faster we can be. And the opening levels of the Sonic Adventure games did that. Just don't play beyond the opening levels of either of the games, because <laughs> they start to fall apart. But again, they were amazing. And Soul Calibur was amazing. Oh, yes. uh, what a pulp that was. And uh, Wetrix as well. I thought that was a really good game, because I, I've got to get a puzzle game in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, what tricks has done it? And Samba de Amigo, I'm sure you've got others as well. You know, they still bought those arcade machines in a way with Samba de Amigo into the home with the peripherals. Sega Bass with the peripheral as well. But they weren't just cheap plastic tat either. They felt something. They felt real. Not real, obviously, but they felt a connect to the game. Not like the Wii with plastic tat you put things in. It, it had a connection to the game. And that, that Sega Bass rod... It had a sort of feedback to it. You felt as though you was actually reading in a, a, a fish with it. And it's just, oh my God, Sega was so innovative. I know, they really were. They really were. My mate bought one um, from an import shop uh, for about 600 quid, which in today's yeah. money is probably around a grand. And we, yeah, I went round to his house special uh, to to see it, and I was I was completely blown away by it, and not just because of the graphics, but yeah, a lot because like he bought because he was just money mad. I just didn't care how much he spent, and he got um, yeah. he got yeah he got the control. He had Sonic Adventure, he had Get Bass with the fishing controller, yep. and he had I want to say that he had Street Fighters. Zero three or was that not out then? But he had the uh, joystick as well, so yeah, he'd spent some cash. And um, I bet you like him. Oh yeah, still do because he still does the same sort of stuff. Uh, I'll come around. Yeah, just gonna pot around. And oh play. yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, just absolutely amazing. I know I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. And like you, just to add a couple more really important titles uh house of the dead 2 with the light gun yeah that's just fantastic it was a really good light gun as well i really enjoyed it i kind of liked resident evil code veronica a little bit it wasn't amazing yeah but it was nice to see them put again pushing the boundaries with that um power stone i was a big fan of oh, i yeah. really loved power stone uh, I just the pre Smash Brothers. That's right. Yeah, again, you've seen the DNA of stuff. You know, it was yeah, very simple. It was yeah, all about the environment and what you did with it. And yeah, yeah, just really, really great. And uh, yeah, so uh, it was a phenomenal machine. Ikaruga, yeah, you can't really talk about it without that. And so many Sega Valley Two. No one's mentioned Sega Valley Two. Yeah, yet. I mean, it, I, I felt it was a bit of a disappointment at the time, but in retrospect, I think it was actually a pretty good game. Yeah. Mm. And it's uh, but yeah, yeah the Dreamcast. Uh, if if I could own one console again with full library, it would be the Dreamcast. Yeah, I've got fond memories of so many different consoles. Many of them I came too late. This one, I I saved my money for ages to get one. And someone said to me, I remember someone saying to me, "Go, oh, you backed the wrong horse once," and I still don't think I did because yeah. it's. I had so many hours and days and years of enjoyment from it. And I'm still getting enjoyment from Dreamcast games. Sure, I'm having to emulate them now, but I'm still getting that enjoyment from them. That I tried going back to a couple of old favourites on the PS1 and the PS2, and I'm playing them now going, uh, yeah, I can see why I liked them at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got my, as you know, I've got my Regulation 7 Dreamcast, which I managed to get cheap from Japan, but well, comparatively cheap. Uh, which is a beautiful machine, and it's got the um, uh, an optical disc emulator in there, and basically loads and loads and loads and loads of games. And I've got those Atomis Wave games I was talking about, like Dolphin Blue, yep. and you know, it's just it's just great. It's border down, you know. I mean, we could talk about it for 
Absolutely. Yes. I mean, what, what, what company? I mean, what drugs were they on at the time? Don't <laughs> coming up with semen, and the fact they they bought a microphone adapter out for it, and it's just like, yeah, if you're gonna pump money into that sort of thing, I can almost see why you struggle to make money. Yeah. But at the same time, bless you, I know for doing that. Insane, insane, brilliant, but insane. Yeah, and again, you then look in the DS, the GameCube and stuff like that. They, they, Nintendo tried all this stuff afterwards yeah. to varying degrees of success. Again, the DNA of Sega is in so much stuff we have today. It really is, yeah. Just stuff like, um, like oh, what did they, like there was like Odama, which was that weird kind of RTS slash pinball game on the yep. GameCube that had the kind of microphone thing and you know just yeah all sorts of stuff that those ideas started getting filtering through into the next generation of consoles so yeah yeah massive influence yeah it's, yeah the 2k sports series as well i mean again sports games never hold up on the whole but I, I tried a couple of like um, NBA, one of the 2K sports, like the football one, they, like the American football one they had. And they still play okay. They're yeah, not great, yeah. but they were great at the time. But they still play okay. And that's, again, that's the thing. I, I don't think I've played a Sega game, like a Dreamcast game, where I've gone, oh my God, this is absolutely dreadful. Even, was it um, Headhunter? Yeah, yeah. It's, it was okay, you know. It was it was okay at the time, and it's still okay now. But that's that's the thing. I don't feel like wait, wait, oh my god, that is the worst thing I've ever played. You know, there was no sh- again. You mentioned it, there was no shovelware on the Dreamcast, um, yeah. so you're not accidentally your dad's not going to go and buy you a Phoenix Games title on the Dreamcast. You're only going to get something that's playable. Maybe not good, maybe not great, but at least competent and okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Power for Power, the best console ever released. Yeah, it's hard to say that it isn't really. I mean, I'd say that the, the SNES comes close in terms of hit, as I said before, Super Nintendo, that comes close in terms of hit to miss, but there was still a lot of garbage on that. But yeah, it's yeah. just amazing. It's just an amazing console. It, uh, there is a great argument that for it being the best single console uh, you know, of all time in terms of the amount of quality versus the amount of rubbish on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say then is the continuation of Sega's consoles? Is it the Xbox? That's a really good question. I think that it's the only one that's close. I think they've they've yeah. moved they've moved away from it a bit now. I think in the 360 era they were very much taking up the mantle. Yeah. I think there was an opportunity for them to have merged with Sega around sort of 2000 you know, 2004, 2005, maybe up until even 2010, where that would have saved Sega and, you know, all of their stuff would have come out. But 2005, me, would have been railing at that and saying, God, no, they've got to stay independent, they'll lose their identity, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Sega pretty much have lost their identity and the only, you know, sort of publisher slash developer that is anything like that, yeah, I think is is Xbox. You know, Nintendo still Nintendo, Sony still want to have everything on there if they can. They have very, very westernised studios, whereas Sega have always been a yeah. very, very eastern-focused studio. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Sony have become very safe, haven't they, with what they do, which is... I mean, it's good to see them branching out to PC, but they've become very safe. And Sega and even Microsoft take risks 
um, even if they fail, because the connect. I mean, it. it oh, why? <laughs> That's yeah. Oh, you know, don't do that again. Never do that again. But they took the risk. And it failed, but they took risks with online play, proper online play. They took a risk with Game Pass and, and, and stuff like that. Again, calculated risks. And that's what Sega did. They took risks. Yeah. And it's strange that if you could say Sega now, most people assume, oh, Sonic, Sonic and Mario, it's a Nintendo thing. But for me, yeah, it's, it's Xbox. But Sega was a publisher. Tell me another publisher that would regularly put out the Yakuza series. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Because that failed in the West, essentially, and then somehow came back. Yeah. And people are loving the original games all over again. I first played Yakuza and went, oh, why are they not making more Shenmue? (laughs) Yeah. And then I played more Yakuza and went, oh, that's why they're not bothering with Shenmue. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. But binary domain vanquish all these sega published games it's like you take risks they're still doing it the sonic people look at sega and go oh the sonic games are crap (laughs) stop looking at sega as sonic sonic as a mascot is amazing he's done wonders for sega and he still has bangers the trans the the sonic and all stars racing transformed is one of the best kart racers out there i i prefer it to many of the mario karts i'm not gonna lie yeah and you know, they say Yakuza's good. I think the, um, the uh, Sonic Mania, when they finally listen to what needs to be done, is brilliant. Uh, but, uh, you know, they've tried to shoehorn Sonic into other things and it's not failed. It's not worked really well. Sonic 4 was an absolute abomination. But Sega, with their other properties, have just done so many good things. Uh, you know, when they brought back Daytona to um, on the Xbox 360 arcade, my God, that was a great port. That was amazing. Yeah. And it was, they, they could still do it. Um, and I think a lot of people forget just how good Sega actually are with what they're producing these days. And they've got into their publisher. They, they went through a bit of a rocky stage, but as a publisher, I actually think they're one of the better ones out there. Yeah, well, you've actually just stole a load of my content, which is fine, because at least it means we're on the same page. <laughs> Plagiarism is <laughs> the best. Most hardware blues. But yeah, no, that is absolutely right. And, you know, following the Dreamcast, they were embattled and they were losing cash at a scary rate. And they did the one thing their fans didn't want, but at least, you know, ensured their continuation. They dropped hardware development and became a publisher developer who was platform agnostic. Uh, Luckily for them, it was just in time for the Xbox and GameCube to ramp up, with Sega leading the charge on those systems with the likes of Jet Set Radio Future, Panzer Dragoon Auto that I mentioned before. Super Monkey Ball, Billy Hatcher, and more of those. And they teamed up a little bit with fellow on-the-outs arcade developers like Sammy to produce SNK properties on the Atomis Wave hardware. But by this point, you know, coin-ups were rapidly becoming an obscure and forgotten cul-de-sac of design. But thankfully, you know, a lot of the DNA of the best Sega divisions, like we were saying, remains. And it still produces the odd hit. So the Yakuza series is created by Amusement Vision. They're now called Ryu Gagatoku Studio. Probably saying that completely wrong. But, you know, they are Amusement Vision, who were an AM studio originally. Um, They also did Binary Domain. And they're doing, you know, Super Monkey Ball, Banana Blitz. And Sonic Team are still pumping out Sonic games, although it's a bit of a flying Dutchman without Yuji Naka at the helm of, of the Sonic Team. But they occasionally stumble on the right formula with you know Sonic Colors, Generations, Sonic Mania. They're all solid Sonic releases. The maestro of the Super Scrollers and the 
outrunner himself, Yu Suzuki, managed to get Shenmue 3 kickstarted. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so he still exists. And Sonic's creator, obviously Nakasan, released the maligned Balan Wonderworld this year, although most wish he hadn't. But it's not all doom and gloom. There are two very bright spots. AM2, which is probably Sega's best ever studio, fight me. Uh, they still break cover from time to time. They're responsible for that Hitsune Miku uh, series of games and for the Border Break series in Japan, which is really big, yeah. and uh, Virtual Fight 5, which just had a resurgence on PlayStation. And they're thriving as publishers, like Wikipedia tells me that Metacritic ranks them as. Uh, the best publisher of the year in 2020, with 28 of its releases getting 90%, uh, 95% actually, yeah, uh, including two with great scores uh, for Persona 5 Royal and y- Yakuza 0. And they've also, like say, published Platinum Games titles, they've published Alien Isolation, Puyo Puyo Tetris... Uh, so, you know, they may no longer be the purveyors of the splash waves and the trademark blue skies, but they'll always have a place in our hearts. Yep, definitely. Um, the future for Sega then. What do what do they do? Because do they release, uh, maybe not in the next couple of years, maybe we're looking at five, ten years down the line, they're going to, they've got to release a Dreamcast Mini. It's just... I can't see them not doing it because there's so much on there. They put their entire self-published, self-developed games library on there because they hopefully still got all the rights to those. That is going to... That would sell gambusters, I reckon. Yeah. Because you'll get the people who loved it will go, yeah, I'm having that. And the people who maybe went, let's see what this Dreamcast is all about, will give it a go as well. And it's just... I want them to continue publishing. I don't want them to go, oh, we're going exclusive consoles again because I think that ship's passed. I don't want exclusivity. I want to be able to play everything on everything, including Nintendo games. If you've got stuff for specific hardware, great, but I want to be able to play everything on everything. But uh, they've got, probably, along with Nintendo, they've got the richest past. They could, I'd love to see them do a box that just says, look, Here's our past up to 2000 and X, for example, whatever it is. Here it all is. One system, off you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only holdback from that is that a lot of his, of its experiences, well, two, it's twofold. A lot of their experiences that made them special needed the extra controllers. So if they did a Dreamcast Mini, I think if they didn't bring out like a Mini a fishing rod controller they'd be missing out but they could do that the fishing rod controller would be bigger than the console though obviously <laughs> yeah. um, and also you know the light gun and the arcade stick uh, which brings me to the second reason it might not be on their cards is the pad which you know absolutely awful <laughs> and I don't know if people are going to want to you know re-engage with that pad they might have to redesign it and then people are moan that it's not authentic and I think these none of these things will stop it happening but I think they're probably the things that are slowing it down do, a little bit do both do both a redesigned pad and the original pad Microsoft brought back the juke yeah it's true just because just because for shits and giggles yeah um, so go look here's a redesigned Dreamcast pad so it just makes the games best, like it, nicer to play and easier to hold but tell you what we also do an addition with the original pad um, yeah. you know there's, there's so much they could do, do you know, I'd buy peripherals for it if they done it 
you know, release release it maybe initially because we're internet connected. So there's no reason they can't add games to it and stuff like that as well. And people will hack it so you can put ROMs on it and everything anyway. So there's that. Uh, but just go look. Here's an initial pack with you only need the controller to play these games. We're actually then going to release Evercade style. Every couple of months or every few months, we're going to release his Sega Bass Fishing with the controller. It's available for a limited time. Do you know, it might not be the best business practice, but this is Sega. And if they wasn't taking a risk with a system they was trying to make, I'd be worried. Yeah. I think, you know, also because they're not a hardware producer anymore, there would have to be Will at the top for you know, getting the companies involved who can actually produce the stuff yeah. and they don't have those connections and it's a shame but I think yeah I think you're right I think we'll see it uh, I really yeah. hope we do it really deserves to you know have yeah. that place in uh, in console history and, and, and find a new audience but don't forget again sorry just with, with the mini consoles Sega when they brought out their game their Mega Drive Mini they didn't just bring out a Mega Drive Mini no 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 no. that wasn't good enough for Sega they actually allowed you to buy all the little add-ons to create a Tower of Power that didn't work it didn't work yeah. but you could buy all the add-ons to create a Tower of Power they know that they're so aware still that's the thing they're not they don't feel like old men in suits making decisions because Sony would never have done a Tower of Power style thing Nintendo would never have done a Tower of Power style thing or anything like that you know you can't buy an N64 Mini with a uh, double D attachment or anything like that Sega went yeah go on Tower of Power it might not work it's just little like little plastic bits to add on but there you go because it's Sega. Yeah. Well, Sega are always sort of a little bit like the Beatles, you know? They kind of, they all, they were all brilliant. They were brilliant together, but then they kind of like, they all got to a point where they just wanted to split up and do all their stuff separately and be their own, you know, be their own men. Whereas, you know, Nintendo are much more like the Rolling Stones where, you know, they ne never allowed to break away. They always stayed together. They're still touring now kind of thing. And yeah, no, they, they kind of had that, oh, we'll split up and we'll we'll have our genius alone. And it never really worked out for them. But yeah, no, I'd love to see. I'd love to see a mini console. But I'm making you now answer my next question which is a much more difficult one because it's what are your top five post-console releases by Sega? So since they've since they've stopped producing hardware in the period sort of 20, 2003, whatever, till now, only 20 years to cover, what are your favourite games of theirs? So I'll do mine first, if you like. Yep, uh, I'll go through them quick and we can talk about them in a bit. So at five, I've got Fantasy Star Online 2 on the PC. At four, Sonic Colors on the Wii. At three, 3D Outrun. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. 3D Outrun on the 3DS. Uh, at two, Afterburner Climax from the arcade. And at number one, Outrun 2 from the arcade. Oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good selection. Um, I've gone slightly, slightly different with this. So, Super Monkey Ball. Yeah. Absolute banger. Um Yakuza Like a Dragon. Yeah. That's oh, that's such a good game. And Puyo Puyo Tetris 2. Good shout. That encompasses both 2 and Puyo Puyo Tetris. They're, you know, I kind of, again, you know my Tetris rules. It all kind of gets bundled into one. Yep. What have I done? Is that three? Yep, that's three. So far, that's three. Oh, oh. Now, do I go? It's, it's either Vanquish or Binary Domain. No, I'm going to put both those honorable mentions because number two is going to be out on coast to coast on the PSP. Yeah. 
bugger me, that was a hell of a game. Yep. And number one, Sonic Mania. Um, why not put Sonic back at the top? Because, oh my God, Sonic Mania is everything Sonic 4 should have been. And the fact is, it's recognised as probably the the actual Sonic 4. And they've, re- you know, they've retconned the Sonic 4 games for Sonic Mania. Yeah, um, yeah, it's absolutely outstanding. And again, it takes anything that needed quality of life with the original Sonic games, put it into Sonic Mania, but made the game you remember, not the games as they were, beautiful. Awesome, awesome. I mean, Vanquish is a good show. I I know that, that, that Platinum was sort of a first-party company for Sega around that time, but I still think of them as Platinum, you know? Um, but yeah. yeah, no, it's a great show. I love that game so much. It's, it's really good. I just It does that Doom 2016 thing of you're not allowed to have cover it's not really allowing you to you can do it but it's really about pressing forward and the more aggressive yeah. you are the more successful you are and there are very few games that really do that and yeah doom being one of them but yeah vanquish lovely lovely game and it's like playing a you know a 1990s anime kind of thing um, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely great game mm. And again, we can add this. Okay, just going through the list, looking through the list, and going, oh, I could have put that in there, I could have put this in there. So, you mean, you've got the Sonic Racing games, absolutely amazing. The other Yakuza games, obviously, outstanding. They've done, like, obviously, spin offs to Super Monkey Ball, some of them are good. Catherine, as well, what a game that is. Yeah. The Football Manager series they own, the various Persona games they do. They put out a free version of Puyo Puyo. Um, in the hope of making that work again they're quite happy to take those risks yeah you know uh, Shenmue 1, 2 and 3 you've got to give them some credit for those because again they might not hold up but they are important titles in the history of of video games for various different reasons you know the idea of a game within a game within Shenmue going to the actual arcades amazing the two point games and anything like their strategy style games again they're, they're, they're Best in class, those games that they've made. Um, Shin Megami Tensei as well. Amazing games. Uh, I can't believe I said Football Manager, but you know they've got that. There's just so much there. Uh, do you know what? There is some tat in there. You know, there's been a couple of poor Crazy Taxi spin-offs, some poor Sonic games, some lazy mobile cash grabs. But again, can I have a go at Sega for that? Knowing others have done it? Not really. Because others have done it. So why, you know, I'm not going to go to Sega, you shouldn't do that. I mean, I'd rather they didn't, but they've tried it, it's not worked. Um, and again, they, they, they took risks, they've done their, like, their own D-make of Bayonetta. Yeah. It, again, all I can say is, it's Sega. Yep, absolutely amazing. And I, I think, you know, on my, for my list... Uh, Fantasy Star Online to took too long to get off PC and into the into the console space, which ruined it for people. But it's still great. I think Sonic Colors is for me. I I like it a lot more than Sonic Mania, but uh, Sonic Mania is a cracking game as well. But I, I love Sonic Colors. I, I think it's really underrated. I was really glad that it got a, a you know a remaster for for stuff off off the Wii and 3D Outrun is just amazing it's the first time amazingly that Outrun's in 60 frames per second and the 3D effect just works and they added loads of quality of life improvements and it's handheld it's one of the best conversions of a game that's ever been made for me and the top two are the the, the strange time when 
Sega decided to use this Limburg arcade hardware and revive their franchises, and it only lasted a really short time. But in that time, Afterburner Climax is amazing. It adds, it's a bit like uh, Pac Man yes. Championship Edition, it adds without taking away, but just everything it adds is absolutely incredible. And it's just an amazing arcade game. And after uh, and Outrun 2, you know, you have to argue, is it better than the original game? Even though the original is an untouchable classic. It's one of those, you know. There's not an answer to that. But the fact is, it's one of the best arcade games ever made. And you, you can never get bored of Outrun 2. Every time I get a new, like, PC or, you know, I just... You know, feel like it. I stick my copy of it on PC on, and it just looks fabulous, and it's just fun to play. Timeless, timeless. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, as you're talking, I'm listening to you as well. I'm still also going through sort of like a list of all Sega uh, published games, and oh my god, this is so many and i'm not looking at any of them i mean there's i mean there is the odd dud like there's a couple of really poor monkey ball games and stuff like that and then you see some of the japanese only stuff and go oh why did they bring that over here yeah so it's like some like japanese soccer games and stuff like that you go well we could do some more football games over here that are not fifa or pro evo so do that the hatsune miku games for example i don't they're not for me they're not for me i can't but i've played a couple of them just because and even though they're not for me, my God, they are tightly made, well, you know, controlled games. Yeah. They've absolutely nailed it. It's that the, they've taken what was Space Channel Five and gone. This is better. Yeah, I know. the The depth and level of quality is massive. And to answer your question about you know where they go in future, yeah, I think um, a, a mini console would be good for them. I might you know if especially if they did it as a leading the charge into going back into hardware although i don't know if i can ever see them doing that but what i would like them to do is to go back to their old ip and really give it a a real big jog so i think the best way they could do it would be similar to what they did with uh, you know in 2003 2004 when they when they released outrun 2 and afterburner climax revisit these games and do a pac-man ce on them and you know keep the originals the best bits of the original stuff in them but add new quality of life improvements don't look at making them triple a make them comparatively cheaper do a bunch of them at once so all the nostalgia hits uh, and then release them and i would like to see them do that in the way that they did it for the 3ds so give us you know yeah. super hang on outrun thunderblade afterburner um, you know, maybe a couple more, all at the same time, all at a reasonable price, or adding stuff like Pac-Man CE did, and I think that they would, they would, you know, reinvigorate that excitement. I think now and again, putting out a conversion of Wonder Boy Three or you know the Alex Kid upgrade type remake thing, it's not enough. I think you have to do a big push on your big titles, and you know, use that as a platform. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the way I would describe Sega, they're not a AAA developer because touch wood at the moment, they've not gone down the route of what. how can we just get all the money in the world? Um, for me, they're a, a major publisher, but with an indie heart still. Um, yeah. That's how they feel to yeah. me. They, they, they want... Their whole ethos is we want you to buy our games, we want your money, but we're going to do that by giving you fun games. 
Um, the total opposite of like Square Enix and stuff like that at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at their upcoming slate of announced stuff. So you've got Sonic Frontiers, obviously, which everyone's dubbing Sonic of the Wild. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see. It's either going to be the biggest failure you ever can imagine or it's going to be something spectacular. Uh, more company of heroes, Two Point Campus, really looking forward to that, by the way, from Sega. That's the Two Point games are really good. Um, it's good to see them rather than just rehashing the hospital again. They're doing something different with the engine. Uh, they've got an Origins collection of Sonic stuff. That I wonder if they might do any CE Championship Edition style stuff with that. That would be quite interesting if they do. Um, so you've got, you know, there's not much they've got on the announcements. So I'm waiting for some big announcements from them. They've got like four titles coming next year. Um, or this year now, as it is. And I want to see what they've got in the locker because they produce so many games that they can't just be having four for 2022. So right. take a risk, Sega. Yeah. Take a yeah. risk. They were always the the risk taking experimental company, you know, that sometimes yeah. very often completely to their own detriment. But yes, we don't want that to go away. There's not enough of it these days. So yeah. So I've got one bit of a left field question for you. Oh god. Right. Obviously we've had all the Sega consoles over the years. What for you is the one title? that you consider a Sega game that's not actually made or published by Sega? Oh. That you associate with a Sega console over everything else? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say... I think Psycho Fox is a good shout. Mm-hmm. I think that that was built in the image of Sega platform games. Maybe not that well-known these days, but yeah, I think that's a Sega... Like, that feels like a Sega title to me. I also think... The only company who were kind of who felt like them were Atari in their kind of heyday, and I would say, if not for the violence, I think stuff like Narc felt kind of Sega-ish. Yeah. Today, in today's world, I think there's a lot of Nintendo properties that you could imagine Sega doing, like the way that they've even with Metroid Dread gone to Mercury Steam to make it more arcadey rather than more of a survival exploration game i think you could yeah. make an argument that that's slightly more in sega's wheelhouse than it is nintendo's and even stuff like mario kart you can imagine that if you know if without mario obviously but you can imagine back in the day if they'd come up with that idea first you'd have been like oh yeah that's a sega game yeah yeah, no, it's good. The one, I mean, and the reason this came up, when I was doing my lists and I was looking at it, and I keep, more, on more than one occasion, I looked at it and went, oh, bugger, that's not Sega, is it? That's not even multi-platform. Yeah. Is Road Rash? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just always, partly because I only ever played it on a Mega Drive. Um, and possibly, I can't remember. But, Frighteningly uh, enough, that's EA uh, who made that. Yeah, I know. But that feels... But I never associate that that it was on the SNES or anything like that. For me, that's a Mega Drive game. Yeah. Th- that's all it is. Because that's the only thing I ever... I, I mean, I had the a, a ability to play SNES games. But for me, Mega... It just felt, you know, you're on motorbikes, but you can fight at the same time. That's that that that's a Sega thing. Like, yeah. That's definitely the sort of thing you'd expect Sega to yeah. do. And it's, yeah, it's just a, one of those. I was looking going, oh, that's not actually Sega. Same as I was just like, when we was going through my list, I went, oops, I broke my rules with uh, the Dreamcast one. It's like, for RVF 355 Challenge, not a Sega game. No. And it's like, there are just some games you just go, 
it's a Sega, it's, 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 it's Sega in all but publisher and developer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some teams get it. And in some ways, I think the NDC keeps Sega alive as well. Um, and I, can't, I really hope they do sort of like continue to go strong as a publisher and keep producing risk-taking games that never, ever go safe. That would that, be the worst thing Sega could do is go safe. Quite. And on that note, I think we'll probably have to end it there, although we could probably talk for several more hours because they're just amazing. But yes, so this history of Sega, you know, story, difficult, challenging, but ultimately technically pushing the boundaries at every opportunity and also taking lots and lots of experimental risks. And that's got to be applauded. It's amazing stuff. Yep. And again, Sega do what Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to try and come up with something better to end, but I just went, oh, I'll just repeat that phrase. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a classic for a reason. But yeah, no. Yes. No. Now that we're in, obviously, our 100th episode and we're in 2022, space year 2022, you know, we've got all sorts of new plans. So I will hand over to you, Bradley, to talk about what the new year has, you know, facing everybody and what it has for MHG in store. So again, I mean, I, what what what's a year now? Um, I, I I'm calling it twenty twenty point two revision B <laughs> because it just feels like a continuation. Since we've hit the twenties, it's gone to crap, hasn't it? Really? Can we just like skip to the thirties? Would that be easier? It would. I, just, I'd go back further. I'd say since twenty sixteen, when Bowie died and Trump became president, it's all gone downhill since then. We need Marty McFly to go back and like keep Trump, keep Trump alive. No, that's wrong. Keep Bowie alive. Yeah. Kill Trump. <laughs> Don't keep Trump alive. Yeah. Frame down the escalator. Um, and stop the Simpsons making predictions. That'd be something. But anyway, yeah, twenty twenty two ahead for MHG. Um, some slight changes. Because of my my vision, I've been sort of like this last year. I've been all over the place and only really been able to concentrate on the on the podcast. Because even though my eyes aren't working, my mouth still works, doesn't it, Stu? Sadly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but are we um, so the videos have all stopped. But I want to get back this year into producing more content. But it's going to be some slight restructuring as well, which isn't less content. Nothing's stopping. In fact, it's more. So the podcast, we're still going to look at doing a weekly podcast, which will be just the general stuff. But starting with with this special, we're going to look to do something that's more in-depth once a month. So we're looking at sort of like a look back on what's retro and emulation and um, what like maybe a piracy special, um, specific games possibly, um, their effect on mental health. But they're going to be more in-depth specials rather than shoehorned into an existing podcast it'll still be available in like the same stream purely because i haven't worked out the best way of splitting it out so you'll get your your weekly podcast and then once a month you'll get a a special trucked in there as well i'm gonna try and get back to streaming what i'm gonna do is once a week again i'm I'm, when i did this before i i went overbearing on myself i was gonna try to hit a schedule of like oh i've got to hit like three nights i'm gonna stream once a week People watch, they watch, they don't, they don't. And then I'll get that all edited, uploaded to YouTube. So we get the YouTube videos going again. One thing I'm going to look at doing, because I know not everyone wants to listen to like an hour-long podcast at times to hear a bit of an opinion about a game, is I'm going to look at cutting out any specifics about a particular game and then putting that over video and sticking that as like clips on YouTube as well. So we're looking to expand there. 
there's going to be some more mental health articles, written articles on, on the site. Again, I've had to back out a little bit from that. One, because I've not actually felt the need to write them myself at the moment. I've been in a weird place concentrating on my physical health that I've not really known what to say with, with my mental health. But we've got more people who are going to start writing about that, more people who are interested in writing. We're gonna so again there's just gonna be more content coming in because twenty twenty one was a bit of a slow year for what we was actually producing on the site. But it meant the podcast has grown what we think is really well. But yeah, keep an eye across all the channels. I'll send updates out on Twitter and things like that. And obviously this is back here. But yeah, there's gonna be more coming. We're hoping for a much bigger twenty twenty two. Superb, yeah. Yeah, and you're doing that all on your own, yeah? Because I'm I'm leaving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's that's part of my plan to get rid of your show i can't blame you yeah no oh, dead weight i'm gonna start editing myself and everything <laughs> yeah actually don't go Stu. don't go <laughs> yeah no well i'm going nowhere uh except now because we're ending the podcast episode so <laughs> i will say goodbye to you all i hope that you had a great holiday period it can be challenging for people do reach out if you ever need any support we're always here for you and please use our discord for that as well uh, in the meantime i hope you enjoyed this really extended ramble about sega but i hope there was great content in there for you any mistakes on the history they're all down to me and brad is completely absolved of that <laughs> but hopefully it was fun and useful and apart from that have a great rest of the week stay safe and stay sane <laughs>